Good morning, Kirby Church. Oh, let's try one more time. Good morning. I mean, I know it's the early service and all, but I mean, you guys get up early anyway, right? And uh, so it's exciting. Good to be here. We're going to continue on with this sermon series and, and called Enemies. Uh, it's called Enemies of the Heart, and it's sort of why we have this sort of doom and gloom uh, stage curtain here to help you kind of just understand how severe uh, these enemies can be, these little seeds that can be planted in your heart. But I want you to know, I want you to, I want you to take note of this. The reason we share these things, the reason we expose these things, we believe it's biblical, but also we believe in the power of the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. And when you trust your life into him, you give your life to him, we believe in his grace and his forgiveness, his power to just to begin to create in you a new work and to change you and to make you into something that you weren't before. And we're so thankful for that, so excited for that. And so this morning what I want to do is just want to recap a little bit of where we have been and kind of what we've been talking about. We've uh, just kind of been talking about the heart. And we're not, not really focusing on the physical heart, but we're focusing on that part of your inner self, your inner heart, that place from which... You know, your heart goes out to people. When you see pictures of people in need, you might say, my heart goes out to these people. This is Julie. We were in Africa this summer, and these were a couple of little kids. You see things like that. You see Feed the Children commercials, those kind of things on TV. Like, hey, my heart goes out to those kind of people. That's the kind of place that we're talking about, your heart, that inner self. Or it's your heart that's broken when someone you really love dumps you in the eighth grade. I know it's a little squashed in that picture But that's Julie and I. She broke up with me in the eighth grade. I know, I'm still trying to get over that one, okay? But it's that place, you know, where we say, oh, my heart's broken. I mean, it's not your physical heart, right? But it's down deep inside there, that place in which you're, you're, you know, you, you live and you love and you, you yearn and you, all those different types of things. And that's what we've been talking about. And the incredible thing is, Scripture, Jesus tells us, he says, for it's out of your mouth. You speak, the words you speak out of your mouth come from your heart. And we're like, that's so different than what our mindset would be. He even says your thoughts, evil thoughts that we have, come from your heart. We think they'd come from our brain. And those moments that we have in our, in our own lives, we talked about this, when we, you know, we say something that's just so not like us, we'll say a word and we'll say, oops, that's so not like, I can't believe I said that. Jesus would say, I can It came from your heart. It's what's in your heart. And that's what the Bible is teaching us. Matter of fact, we looked at this powerful verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said this. He taught about all kinds of things. And he said, above everything else, above all else, he says, to do what? To guard your heart. Guard your heart. Why? It's the wellspring of life. It's your heart. It's that place that you live from, right? You love from. It's, it's that place that, that so much of life takes place for us. And what we've learned as kids, we have learned behavior modification. We have learned to put this filter up, so to speak. And, and so we learn there are certain things we should say or shouldn't say to get by in life. There are certain things that we should say to do well in school or to get a job or to get a date or to keep a date. Certain things you do or don't want to say, right? And so we've learned this behavior modification system. And unfortunately for us, we haven't learned what Scripture's told us that's even more important and more powerful than behavior modification. Because at times in our life, 
When life or the pressures of life squeeze on us, there are going to be moments or times in our life where something's going to happen. It's like our brain's going to slap us, right? And we're just going to say something. We're going to go, I can't believe I said that. Or we're going to do something. It's like that Jekyll and Hyde moment. Somebody's going to look at you and say, what is that? Where did that come from? You were such a sweet person, you know? And it's like, whoa. And the thing is, we've never learned to do what Scripture tells us, what Solomon tells us, and even what Jesus says when he says to guard our hearts, to monitor what's inside because what's coming out is just a mirror reflection of what might be going on inside of our heart. And what happens is through time, events and circumstances in life, little things can be planted in our heart that can become monsters. Guys, and if we don't learn to deal with those things, if we don't learn to clean out our heart, to monitor and to guard that heart, to keep those things from coming in, but then also to to take care of the things that are already there, the junk that's there, by simply saying, God, here's my heart. Speak truth to me today. Show me those places in my heart that I need to change, that I need to give over to you. God, bring healing into my heart. And, and, and so it's hard for us to do that. We've never learned really to do those different types of things. And so last Sunday, I told you I was going to give you four specific things. There are probably many that we could talk about, but four specific things that can become monsters in our heart if not dealt with properly. And so we started talking about guilt and I told you that with all four of these things, it's, a, it's sort of this uh, debt-debtor relationship that we enter into. And guilt comes because we've wronged someone. If you've lied to someone, you've stolen, you've taken something, right? I can remember as a grade school kid stealing bubble gum from my, my local neighborhood grocery store and getting caught and denying it. And the guilt that riddled me for the weeks to come, right? So we've all probably experienced some guilt, but when we've done wrong to someone, we've lied or we've hurt someone's testimony or whatever it might be, we, we talked about and we looked at how Scripture says the way you get through guilt is to confess. And what we like to do is we like to confess to God because that's, that's somewhat easy and we feel better immediately, but what Scripture teaches us is we need to confess to the person that we've wronged. And that's tough. And I've had multiple people come and share examples of how this has happened in their life, how it's played out, how they've had to go back to a boss or how they had to go back uh, to a friend and apologize for something that they had done wrong and how God just, it was sort of like this weight was lifted off of their shoulders when they did the biblical thing and they made it right. And that's what we talked about. We talked about guilt. And guilt basically in that debt-debtor relationship says, I owe you. I owe you. Matter of fact, we even use the terms, let me make it up to you. Let me make this up to you. Or, I, man, let me pay it back, that kind of thing. And so we go through that whole process in our mind. And so it's that debt-debtor relationship, I owe you. And then this past Wednesday night, we talked about jealousy. And uh, when we talk about jealousy, it's sort of like in the picture, uh, you're never too young. We think jealousy is one of those things for kids, right? It's, oh, that's so junior high. And the truth is, as adults... We have envy sometimes in our heart and jealousy, and we don't even realize it. It's one of those little monsters that can swell up in our, within our heart and, and begin to choke out the relationships, the healthy relationships we can have. Matter of fact, we talked about the fact that as adults, what we like to say to hide our jealousy is uh, we like to put people in categories. Well, I just don't like that group of people. They're just, those are rich people. I don't like rich people. I don't like skinny people. I don't like tall people, you know, those kind of things, which is, they're athletic or whatever it might be, you know, they're so cheerleader or whatever, you know, and we, we put people into groups or we might even say something effective, well, I, I just, I just don't like that person. And that's the root of that. When we search in our heart, 
is jealousy. That person has something or they've done or achieved something that we want. And what we said is at the basis of our jealousy, we begin, we take jealousy out on other people. And the weird thing is there is nothing those people can do to make us feel better about our jealous or envious heart. And Jesus says what we've got to do is we've got to work on that jealousy. We've got to begin to clean that out. Don't let it have a place in our heart. Don't let it have a bitter or grow a bitter root, so to speak. And the way that we deal with jealousy is we understand our jealousy is really about our relationship with God. And what we're saying when we look at another person and we say we're envious or we're jealous of that person is we're saying, God, I'm upset that you didn't give me that kind of life. God, why don't you let me have that kind of job? God, why can't I dress that way? God, why can't I have kids that are smart like my kids? I'm, my kids, I'm just kidding, that's not. But you know, that's where we go with things, right? It's, it's basically our, our pushing what, our anger at God onto other people. And what we need to do is we simply need to own up to it because God knows our heart and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with this. I don't think this is fair. And the truth is, fairness was tossed out of the garden when sin entered in, in the the book of Genesis. And we read through scripture. Even Solomon talked about how mighty God was. And and he appoints kings and he appoints leaders. And in the New Testament, we hear how, how God hands out different spiritual gifts. And we're all gifted in different ways. Not evenly, not equally. But God has blessed us in different ways. And we talked about the fact that when it comes to fairness in our world, none of us would really want fair. When you group all the people of the world together and we said, okay, let's make everything equal, we would all take several steps backwards. And none of us really want that. And so to deal with jealousy, we first go to God. And then the second thing I told you, and this is kind of tough, but you begin to just heap great compliments or blessings on those people that you struggle with. Those people that you have a hard time with, maybe they've succeeded, they've got the new house that you always wanted, or they got the car that you always wanted, the job or whatever, and you just begin to tell them how, how thankful you are of how God's blessing them and, and how well they're doing. And you just kind of build those compliments in, and that helps to destroy the jealousy that you can sometimes have within your heart. And I was amazed, even after Wednesday night, how many people begin to talk to me about, I didn't realize I had issues with people that I have issues with. Because here's the deal. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, For us as believers to love a biblical love that's laid out before us, we're going to love all people. It doesn't matter. Christian love doesn't exclude the skinny group of people or the rich group of people or or the group of people that we're envious or jealous of. We just have to love people. And it starts with our perspective, our right perspective in relationship with Christ and knowing that he's blessed us He's handed out gifts differently. He's blessed people in different ways and just working through those things. And so that's basically what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. And what I want to talk to you about this morning uh, is is a little bit tough, okay? I'm just going to admit, all of these I think are, because they can become monsters. And, you know, who likes talking about monsters? I don't even like watching scary shows. But they're so important for us to, to look into God's Word and kind of break these things down. Matter of fact, John Eldridge says this, He says, the story of your life, the story of your life is one of a long, brutal assault on your heart. The story of your life is about this long, brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you can be and fears it. You see, this is so important for us to step back and evaluate our heart and where we are with things and simply say, all right, Lord, here's my heart. Check this out. Here's my heart, Lord. Show me if there's any place because we know 
That if the evil one would love to slow us down, he's going to attack us. And if there's a place he can attack us, he wants to sow these kind of seeds into our heart. So we want to look at that. So what I want to talk to you today, very sensitive and yet very appropriate. I think it's relevant to the topic of our heart. And that is our possessions, our possessions, those things that we have. And in dealing with this part of the heart, it really comes down to two terms. It comes down to the word generosity and the word greed. Generosity and the word greed. Let me just say that uh, if you're really not much of a church person uh, and, and you've just, you're just kind of starting back to church and maybe there's a point in time in your life you even left church because you were frustrated, it seemed like the church was always asking for money, the pastor was always asking for money, let me just say this is not about that. I want to just lower that wall for you very quickly. It's not about that. This is not about something uh, you know, that we're trying to gain from you or get from you at all. This is something to do with your heart. Your heart. And what we're going to discover is this. Greed is really not a financial issue. Greed is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And that God's word tells us there's some very specific principles or steps, things that we can do that we can look at to help us in dealing with greed. Now, the struggle for all of us, that if I was to ask you in here this morning, how many of you are generous, most of you would raise your hand. Who, wants, who doesn't want to be a generous person, right? We all want to be known as generous people. If you were to, if you were to go out and to ask people, you know, if the Jay Leno show interviewed people out in L.A., they would say, yeah. We're generous. Everybody wants to be generous. I've never had someone come to me and say, Pastor Joe, I'm greedy. I'm struggling with greed. People don't do that, right? We don't, we don't, we just don't admit to that kind of thing. I mean, that's it's tough for us. And I think part of it is there's a very subtle thing that can take place in our lives. It's very subtle for us. And greed, it's difficult to see sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to see when a person has, has that real greedy heart because when we think of greed, we often think of Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Sitting at that wooden table with a pile of money in darkness, a little bit of candlelight. This guy is living a pauper's life to save everything he can. He wouldn't give anybody anything, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we think about and we think, Joe, that's, that's not me. I'm not greedy in that sense. Matter of fact, I'm a compassionate person. I have compassion, and, and I, you know, I, I pray about things, and I see people, and it breaks my heart. I have compassion for tornado victims and hurricane victims and, and, and kids in Africa and, and all those kind of things. I, I don't struggle with greed. But what you're going to find as we look at this first passage in particular is that there's more than one kind of greed. There's a lot of different kinds of greed, and this is going to be important for us to check this out. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew, but in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, look at this verse. Jesus here is speaking, and here's what he says. He says, watch out. Remember Solomon? When he called attention to guarding our hearts above all things, he said, guard your heart. Here's Jesus. He says, watch out. Be on guard. Be on guard against what? All kinds of greed. Not one kind of greed, but all kinds of greed. There's the Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge kind of greed. And then there's other kinds of greed that we have to be aware of and we have to be on watch for. Okay, And he says, so be on guard for that. And he goes on, he says, think about this. He said, a man's life, and he describes this kind of greed in a very specific way. A man's life, in other words, he would say, let me talk to those of you who don't think you have a problem with greed. He said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her 
possessions. What Jesus is talking about here, and this is so powerful, he says that there's this kind of greed. And the way that you know that you fall and uh, pray to this kind of greed is that all, in, in all of your life, it's like you've got to have this to keep on living. That's the kind of greed that he's talking about here. It's sort of like the, the greed of acquisition or the greed of hoarding or the greed of wanting more and more stuff of the next newer, shinier, better thing and just adding to that. And you know what? In our culture, this is so tough for us because in our Americanized, affluent culture, we are born almost into this. I can remember my very first episode with this type of greed in my heart. I was a kid. Man, I was young. I'm going to tell them my, my age a little bit. I was in a Woolworth store, okay? How many of you have been in a Woolworth store? Not many of those around anymore. I was in a Woolworth store. My mom used to work there. And, uh, and so we're in the store, and I'd seen this thing on TV. I was probably five or six. This was the coolest thing that had come out. Black and white TV, it looked like the coolest thing. It was the coolest thing that had come out, right? It was a Stretch Armstrong. How many of you remember Stretch Armstrong? I mean, this guy, you could grab him, you could pull him, you could stretch him, all these different types of things. And I seen all the incredible things Stretch Armstrong could do as a kid, and in my kid's eyes, I had to have it. And when I walked down the toy aisle, <gasps> there it was, you know, Stretch Armstrong. And Mom, there's Stretch Armstrong. No. I found myself kicking and flailing in the floor, a tile floor. It hurt. I remember it was painful. It hurt my head to bang my head on the floor. But I wanted the Stretch Armstrong, right? And it was my first experience as my mom carried me out of the store screaming and kicking. And I cried. Alligator tears cried. Because for me, that was life. I had to have the next biggest, best thing to add to my toy collection of 100 plus toys that I never played with. But that one looked so cool on TV and I had to have it. And guys, that's a type of greed. That greed of acquisition, that greed of, of wanting more and more and more. And what I've done in just revealing that to you is I've basically condemned our American society because that's the society that we live in. You've got to have the next biggest, best thing. And any more that's so challenging with, with electronics and cell phones and computers because it seems like every three to six months they're coming out with a new one, right? And so it's so tough for us. We see all these things and we want to have all this type of thing. And if we're not careful, what happens is greed can get lodged into our heart. And it be can become, it can begin to impact our relationships. And it can come to the point to where we're so concerned about what we have, keeping it shiny, no scratches, stay away. That we begin to guard ourselves, we begin to guard our possessions to the point that we begin to impact our relationships, pushing people away, offending people even. Because we are so focused on what we want to have, we just got to have it. And this is so big. I want you to get this, guys. Get this. Don't go home without it. It's not a financial issue. That is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart problem. And from other scriptures we can find, God would say, when you live that kind of life, you're robbing me. Because you have a constant desire to just want to have more. Now, isn't it amazing? As I started thinking through this, it's amazing to me how different our attitude is in spending and giving. Let me just give you just a 
a weird example for me. I love ice cream. I mean, I seriously love ice cream. I try to exercise so I can eat more ice cream. I love it. Mint chocolate chip's my favorite flavor. There is never a point in time when I'm at an ice cream place and I order a double dip waffle cone with mint chocolate chip ice cream that I think to myself, hold on a second, let me check my bank account. I never do that, right? You don't either. I never go and check my bottom line. I never make sure I have enough money in my checkbook to buy you know, what it, the things that I truly want to have and desire. But then somebody comes to me with a need or somebody e- emails me or they send me a letter or somebody stops to talk to me and there's this very, spe- I mean, there is this need. What do we do? Well, let me check my checkbook. Let me, let me check my bottom line. Isn't it amazing how differently I treat spending and giving? And that's the way we live so often in our life. And and here's the great news. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture here this morning in which which Jesus is going to give us some very, very practical ways to allow him to dig into our heart and to pull the greed out. And I'm going to tell you something. For some of you, this can be life transformational. It really can change the way that you live. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me here into Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, a very, very powerful passage of Scripture in verse 19. And I want you to catch this here this morning. Here's what Christ says. He says, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, Don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, he's not talking about not having a savings account. He's not talking about that kind of stuff. He's not talking about not saving for your college, kids' college fund. He's not talking about, because Scripture talks about planning for those times, being like an ant who who prepares for winter. We've got to be smart with our money and do those kind of things, okay? It's not about going out and selling everything we have and and tearing down the curtain here and making burlap clothes, and, and that's how you get by. It's not about that, okay? What he's talking about is he's talking about addressing those of us who keep swapping the old for the new. Those of us who've got to have the next stretch Armstrong. Those of us who don't care so much about our spending, but boy, we really, really, really check the bottom line when it comes to giving. It's sort of like that day that's coming up here in Flat Rock in which we had the neighborhood yard sale, Right? We walk through our house, we walk through our basement, we walk through our garage, and there is stuff upon stuff. We don't consider ourselves to be hoarders because they've never showed up at our house to film the show, okay? But we walk through and we're like, man, you can't really get through. I mean, it's my garage right now. It's crazy. And so what do we do? We throw all this stuff out onto the garage or onto the driveway, right? For, for garage sale day, yard sale day, we, step, we get it all out there. We get it set up for people to come to buy our junk. And after about 30 minutes, we look down the road at the neighbor's house and say, look at the cool stuff they've got for sale. And what do we do? We walk down the street and we buy more stuff to put in the place of the stuff that we're trying to sell. That's what we do, isn't it? I mean, it's just this process that we often go through. You're laughing because you're like me. That's, that's, what I, that's, that's how I live sometimes. And in verse 20, here's what he says. He says, but store up. If you're stuck in that kind of life, if you've got that, even that hint of greed in your life, here's what he says to do. Here's the issue, or here's the solution. Store up for yourself. In other words, if you like to acquire, if you like to collect, if you like to hoard and get stuff, then store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. Jesus is saying the way to store up stuff in heaven is to give away. Give away stuff. 
Just start giving away. If you don't agree with me, look at this verse. This is in Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Check this out. He says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself purses which never wear out. Wouldn't that be great, guys? Our wives have got purses that never wear out. They get one, okay? That'd be cool, right? They never wear out. An unfailing treasure, he says, in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth can destroy. He says the cure here, the way to fix this is that we just we get rid of stuff. You move some of the stuff from your category to someone else's category that's in need. From your kingdom that you're building to somebody else's need, you just begin to become generous and you just begin to give away. The point here is that Jesus is, try, that Jesus is trying to make it. It's not that he's, he's wanting us to store up things here on the, this earth. He doesn't want us to be a hoarder. He doesn't want us to live in that realm. He wants us to begin to give away, to become generous. And then he gives us the reason why. Don't miss this. Here's what he says. He he doesn't want us to store up treasures in heaven. Here's why. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, guys, look, that's where your heart's going to be. If you want to know where your heart is today, Jesus would say, show me your treasure. Show me your bank account. Show me your checkbook. Show me your, your, your visa card. Show me your bottom line. And here's the thing, you can't miss this. Where you want your heart to go, he says, that's where this needs to go. And where this goes, this follows. So if you want to have a generous heart, you learn to give back. You learn to give away. You learn to invest in things that won't rust, that moths can't destroy. Because the bottom line is, the things that we have here on this earth, we can't take with us. We can't. As a matter of fact, everything that we have is a blessing from God that he's given to us. And he could take it away at a moment's notice if he wants. And he says, guys, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you want your heart to be mine, then give to me. Give to my causes. Give to my kingdom. Invest in things that are going to last for eternity. Where your treasure goes, your heart begins to follow. Here's the thing. Generosity. You can write this, this down. Generosity is the way that you break the power of greed in your heart. Now, a lot of people will stop with this verse. I want to go on very quickly here. I want, to, I, want to, I want to break this down because if you look in verse 22, it's almost like Jesus changes the subject. Here's what he says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the, your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And we're like, that's great. That, clean, that just clears it all up, right? A lot of understanding. Here's the thing. As, as Jesus was teaching this, I think there's a, a part of some things here that they begin to grasp a little bit better than we do. There may be something here that we miss in our English translation of this particular verse. Because basically, when you look at this, the eye directs your body. Have you ever noticed that when you're, where your eyes look, your head's going to turn, right? I mean, it, your eyes direct your body. We, we all kind of understand that. We get that. And here's what Jesus is saying. When he says the eyes... The eyes are the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, that Greek word good, that Greek word, it's the only time it appears in the New Testament. It's the only time that it's there. And that word can also be translated 
as gracious or generous, as generous. So not only would it say the eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are good, it would say if your eyes are generous. If your eyes are generous, your body is full of light. So it's sort of a, a word play that Christ is making. Then he says your eyes, if your eyes are bad. In Matthew chapter 20, this same word in the Greek is used, and there it's translated as the word envious. In other words, if your eyes are envious, if your eyes are generous, your life can be full of light, but if your eyes are envious, it's full of darkness. Let me ask you something. Have you ever met a person, the most generous person that you know, have you ever met a person who was generous and wasn't happy? The happiest people I've ever met in my life, good gracious, they just love to give. There was a lady named Betty. I, I got to hurry in this one. Betty, Betty sat down with me. I was our youth pastor. She sat down with me and the, the, the worship pastor and the, the senior pastor one year for Christmas, and she gave us a catalog from Backrack. And if you've ever been in a nice mall, they'll have a Backrack men's clothing store. She said, pick out a suit. At the time, I think I owned one very inexpensive suit that was given to me. She said, pick out a suit. Long story short, we've all picked out a suit. It was her Christmas present to us. When UPS showed up for my suit, they had a dolly. A dolly. You're thinking that was a big suit. No, 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 no. It wasn't a big suit, okay? It was multiple suits. Boxes after boxes after. Betty spent over $4,000 on each one of us that year for Christmas. I'd never had anybody do anything like that for me in my life. I was blown away. This was the happiest person you could ever meet. Betty bought the church youth bus. Betty put, bought the steeple to go on the church. She was, the ha- she was a business owner. She was a widow. She had the means to do it. And she just, wherever you went with Betty, she was giving somebody something. She just loved to give. She just loved to give back. And guys, that's the kind of life I believe that Christ wants us to live within the realm of the way that he's blessed us. It's just to be generous because without that, what happens We begin to swell up with greed within our heart. And you may not even realize it. You may not even know that it's there. But the greed begins to trickle in and it becomes a monster that's so hard for us to deal with because we're always thinking and worrying about building our kingdom where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be also. So let me give you something here very quickly. From a scriptural standpoint, Something that I've got to work on in my own life, as I, as I talk to people who are pastors or people that I think that really give it, people who are generous, they've lived this out in their life, there are three things I want you to know that I've found. Three principles that I want to give you. A couple of them here, the first, I think they're all biblical principles. The first one is this, priority. Write down priority or prioritize. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. Guys, I believe... One of the key principles of overcoming greed and becoming generous in your heart is you make God a priority. You give to him number one. I remember learning, learning this early on in my married life when trying to work through my budget and budgeting on paper 100% of my income and paying all my bills first, it just never seemed like there was enough left to do 10% for God. But when I put God's at the beginning and I paid it first, I can't explain how it happened. There was always enough for everything else that I needed. The problem isn't us living on our 90% that we have now. That's not the problem. The problem is us prioritizing God first, making him first place. And so number one is to prioritize. Number two is to be 
a percentage giver. This is clearly taught in the Old Testament, and I believe it's true, and I think it's so important. I think it's key for us as you prioritize and you want to create a generous heart is that you give God a percentage back to him. Biblically, as you look at the Old Testament, it's very clear that there's a 10% gift that you give first fruits to God. You give that, you live on the 90%. And I'm going to tell you, the people that I know and the times I've experienced this, even in my own life, it's been incredible to see how God blesses people who give priority percentage givers. It's amazing how this works out. And I just challenge you to give God a test in this, just to, just to try it out in your own life, to ask yourself, God, how's my heart in this? Am I being greedy? And because I've got to break this down in my own life. I mean, does it mean I never get a new iPod or an iPhone or, or, or the next you know, iMac when it comes out? Does it mean I never buy a new car? I don't think so. I think what it means is you make God a priority in your life. And when God's the priority and you're giving him a key percentage biblically of what's called to give back to him and his kingdom, and you live off the rest, and you just begin to develop that generous heart. I've been amazed at the people I've talked to who after 10% for so many years, they just felt they wanted to give more. Because they were developing this heart of generosity, and every year they begin to add a percentage 11, 12, 13, 14, and how God just continued to meet their needs. That's, that's what they'd tell you. May God help us to be generous. May God help us to defeat the greed that can sometimes trickle into our hearts. Many types of greed, not just the Scrooge greed. Now, here's the thing all of this begins. All of these things, dealing with guilt, dealing with jealousy, dealing with greed in our hearts, it all begins with that relationship with Christ. Jesus isn't happy just to leave you sitting where you are. He wants to always draw you closer to him. We're always in a, this constant work, this process of becoming more like Christ. And it may be that some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, man, I can't believe I came on a Sunday where the preacher talked about greed. And, you know, but it may be that God led you here because he's trying to get your attention. He wants you simply to open your heart to him. And to start that personal relationship with Christ. It may be that you're here this morning and you're not sure if you're greedy or not. You know you like yard sales and you don't like selling, but you know you like buying more. And you just want to search that out. You want to read scripture. You want to study that for yourself. You just want to pray for that open heart. God, search my heart. Help me to be more generous. Wherever you are this morning, I want to give you a chance just to respond. If you would just stand.